Happy New Year, everyone! I know it's been almost one month since the last episode. I hope you started this year in the best of ways, full of energy, full of motivation, and looking forward to some great music. I know I'm looking forward to a lot of great guests that are going to be on the podcast. Just as last year, we're going to have a lot of accordionists. We're also going to have some composers on the podcast. Feel free to comment, feel free to propose, reach out to me, propose new guests, topics, and ideas. There's also a new way to support the podcast. If you like the podcast and all of the guests and all of the amazing guests and all of the episodes, wherever you're listening, click on the description of the episode, scroll all the way down, and you can do two of the things. You can send in a voice message and record it by clicking on the link anchor.fm slash everything accordion slash message or you can support this podcast by donating a certain amount in order to keep me motivated and bring to you new episodes every two weeks i'm also running a special offer on my patreon page for the patreon community and if you become a patron now until this friday the 4th of february you will receive a link to the live streaming of my concert in Vienna, in which I will be premiering two new exciting works, one for Accordion and Electronics by Philip Meyer, and another work called Freedom for Notes and Men by Matthew Shlomowitz, which is a sort of a lecture piece, and it's really fun, and you don't want to miss it. And if you live in Vienna, as a patron, you will be on the list of guests for the concert and will be invited to a meet and greet after the concert. I'm also holding a course on online tools to make your life easier this Saturday at 6 p.m. Central European time. If you're interested in learning about online tools which will make your life much easier as a musician, if you want to organize your contacts, if you want to improve your sales, if you want to keep up with all of the tasks, if you would like to have better visuals and prepare your own graphics and your own social media content, then join my course, which you will find on my website under www.gennadierotare.com. Click on shop, then go to book online, find the course and book your spot today. Let's jump in into this week's episode. Welcome to another episode of Everything Accordion podcast. I'm super excited to have another guest from a Nordic country, from Denmark. He was a child prodigy. He's doing thousands of CDs, thousands of projects, lots of concerts. He's also teaching at the Royal Danish Academy of Music. So without further ado, Bjarke, welcome to the podcast and thank you for being here with us. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Janarich been looking forward to meeting you it's actually the first time that we're we're talking i mean we were like writing you know message on, on instagram on facebook but it's the first time that we actually talk and i've discovered you the first time in 2011 when i got my my first pigenia accordion you know i was like i found your videos and they i, I got obsessed when i've heard like this uh, what was it passing number three by martin loze i think yeah yeah it was it was so amazing like uh, when i was listening to it i really wanted to start playing it and then i found your other videos so actually after 10 years i'm very happy to have you like you know to talk to you finally <laughs> unfortunately not in person online but uh yeah it's a start <laughs> yeah it, it's yeah. it's a start yeah. maybe hopefully. our yeah, yeah maybe laugh. our paths will cross at some point hopefully yeah, hopefully Bjarke, I read your, a little bit about you on your website, and you are sort of a, if I can use this term, a child prodigy. You started at seven years old, and when you debuted with uh, Munich Symphony Orchestra, I think it was, at 10 years old. Like, how, how did you start playing the accordion? How did that happen? Well, uh, yeah, that's a, a very good question. Well, my, my sister was playing before me, so she had kind of an influence, I guess. And, and my grandmother was playing the, you know, the traditional accordion, piano accordion. And 
and um, so 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 there were some influences, but but actually I was not very drawn to the instrument in the beginning. It was not my first choice, I guess. You know, I'm I'm from this small desolate uh, island in the Baltics where we have a very um, very small music school. The island is called Bornholm, uh, with with a population of approximately forty thousand people, and um, uh, the music school is is not that not that big, and we we have quite limited spaces. And um, I, I think I, I wanted to play the piano or the guitar or something. I can't really remember back then, but all the places were already fully booked. Uh, or the, there was no space for for the you know the the cool instruments. <laughs> what do you would say for, <laughs> for for a child at that age? You know, the, the, at least the instruments that you knew knew about and uh, other than of course from my my, my sister and, and but I ended up having the choice between the recorder or the accordion that was the instruments that were left and <laughs> the recorder or the accordion was the least I guess uncool if you can say that uh, for a kid uh, in, in that age or and and uh, it was practical because my sister was playing also and so so it ended up being the accordion by coincidence uh, and it's developed from there. Wow, so you chose like the least, how can I put it? The least heavy instrument basically out of the two. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. So how did you go from, um, you know, starting to play at seven when you really didn't, like that story resonates with me a lot in the sense that same thing happened for me. My mom wanted me to kind of play the piano, but then everything was like the class was full. And the only place was for accordion and then they told me that i would have like one hour per week of complimentary piano so you know that's how i became an accordionist but uh, how did you go from you know not wanting to play kind of play the accordion you chose without choosing in a way the instrument to three years later playing with uh, with an orchestra debuting and you know performing already in concerts like how did that happen Yes, I, I have to uh, to modify the the, the big um, sensation of being a child prodigy. I was actually thirteen before I, I I debuted with the with the the famous Munich symphony. Uh, but but that was all also very early. I guess it's it's uh, it's uh, it's a big thing, you know, uh, for the first time performing with with an orchestra and a conductor following a conductor is 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 just you know mind blowing the first time you do it uh, and um, especially and, I think yeah. for an accordionist you know because at 13 it's you know not not many accordionists actually like you see child pianists or violin players like already very young performing with orchestras for accordionists it's really not not that simple no, it, it, it's not the not, not a standard for sure, or not a um, something that is very natural. At least um, uh, a lot of us have, of course, performed in, in in accordion orchestras, but that is also a very different thing because usually the, with all due respect, the the conductors for the accordion orchestras are may, maybe not professional conductors. They they are probably skilled amateurs, or you know how how it works. It's it's a, it's a different thing. At least playing with. With, with a symphony orchestra because they have different needs or different different uh, timing or different uh, uh, yeah a different approach at least to to uh, making music together. Uh, yeah. I agree uh, yeah. absolutely. I conducted yeah. an accordion orchestra in Germany for one year. <laughs> I'm no conductor, <laughs> yeah, but 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 I know what it means. You know, playing with a real yeah. real conductor and you know Same, being an accordion yeah. orchestra conductor. So so. But that, that was, uh, yeah, a very, very uh, scary thing. Uh, and then also performing in, in, in television with, you know, I don't, I don't know how many millions in, in, in prime time German television is, is uh, can be quite frightening. I, I think I was, hope, hope, I think I wasn't really aware of that at that moment. I was just trying to play the correct notes uh, at the right time, you know. And I was also interviewed in German uh, with a translator. My, my German skills were at that time very limited. So, so there was a lot of things going on uh, at the same time. I don't know what, what, what was the scariest part, but, but it was uh, a, a very yeah, uh, strange, strange evening.
for me, uh, but but uh, you know, also a game changer uh, because it also discovered uh, that there was a huge musical world outside the accordion world, uh, which were also mind blowing and uh, something that was very inspiring, of course, for a kid of thirteen. Oh, so, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. What was the occasion? It was, uh, yeah, yeah, competition for for youngsters, you know, um, mm. from I think ten uh, to fifteen or something. Uh, uh, from actually from 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 Germany, uh, but my teacher was a German. The teacher on Bornholm, Gregor Siegler, he was uh, German. Um, uh, he somehow had, you know, uh, a connection that allowed me, Danish kid, uh, to to uh, enter into this competition. That also uh, uh, I had to do a, not only a audition of playing. Uh, I think we were 1,200 kids or something uh, who auditioned to this competition. Wow. We also had to be um, from all instruments and from all kind of, you know, like a talent competition. So, so vast field of genres. And, and uh, we also had to do a, an interview uh, speaking. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and, and I think I, I must have done a, some kind of impression because I, I, I was picked together with two other uh, of the kids, uh, a, a piano player. And uh, a violinist, uh, very good violinist, who's now also a, she actually ended up winning. I came in second in this, you know, competition mm. when in the finals, and uh, um, it was uh, Veronica Ebel, a, a violinist who, who won this competition, and she uh, did a brilliant career afterwards. Uh, this, uh, so that was a, a big, you know, window into the. The, the whole classical, you know, establishments that which I never, mm-hmm. you know, uh, never ever dreamt of, you know, entering in, in, in that sense. So that, that mm-hmm. was a very, a, a very big thing when you were thirteen, I think. Oh, absolutely. So, did you already decide that you wanted to be a musician before that, or was that a kind of, as you said, a game changer in deciding to do this as a career path? Yeah, well, at that point, I, I wasn't thinking in career, perhaps, but I was, uh, of course, thinking uh, how, what is fun? Is it, is it playing with other instruments? Is it just sitting in, in your room playing solos and difficult accordion works? Or do you, um, is there a bigger, you know, bigger world if you try to mix with other instruments uh, and, and, and see what you can learn from that. You know, you can learn so much because the tradition from the other instruments are so much bigger than the accordion tradition will ever be because we are 300 years behind uh, the other instruments in many, many ways still. Uh, even though uh, the progress is going fast, I think we still have a lot of way to go, I think, to be on the same, you know, uh, yeah, there's a lot of catching up yeah. to be done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, when I was talking to Friedrich Lips on one of the episodes of the podcast, he said that since the accordion is so young, as you were saying, you know, we are living basically everything like one year as if it were like five or ten years for the accordion. So we're going at a very fast pace. But but it, it requires time, otherwise it's, it simply doesn't establish itself. No, exactly. Yeah, I agree. So after that, that was basically your, how can we put it, initiation in a way into performing with orchestras because I looked at your concerto list and it's super impressive. You have like a ton, you know, and listeners go to Bjarke's website. You're going to find the, the link in the description of the channel. It's really impressive. And if you're looking for a concerto, go there, you'll find something for you. Yeah, I find it super exciting to explore this repertoire because it's it's also so uh, so seldom you get to to perform uh, these pieces and, and, and it's but for some of it's, it's, it's extremely good music and the whole idea of mixing our instrument with, with a symphony orchestra is, is just really exciting, I think. So I agree. Just something, something that we 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 should be uh, also. I think it's something that we as a, an accordionist also should 
try to explore more because we have an instrument which has so many solistical uh, ability, a lot of colors to develop in this, I think, direction. Mm -hmm. I think you are someone who is very successful in doing this. And what would be your approach in, because, you know, I imagine that collaborating with different orchestras and then conductors, then you get invited perhaps again to perform a new work or perhaps to perform the same work in other places as well or maybe the conductor who premiered the piece with you or played with you you know invites you as a soloist to a different orchestra it's something that i'm not seeing that often for example in germany or in italy or in austria why do you think that is do you think it's because the orchestras or maybe the um, the musical the classical music establishment is kind of not open towards getting an accordion as a solo instrument with the orchestra or like what are your thoughts on that there are so many uh, aspects in this uh, uh, these things that are also can be very random uh, in, in many ways i mean I talked to a, one of the biggest, you know, recorder soloists uh, who was playing, you know, the recorder, and and she was kind of making a good point about how often do they do the orchestras put in, you know, a, an instrument for for example like the recorder, which maybe they have a soloist every tenth year or something, if if you have to measure it like that, and I don't know what with the accordion maybe it's every every fifth year or something, uh, it's, it's not very often that they program. And I mean, they, you know that the orchestras are programming, you know, violin concertos, I think every month or at least uh, a few times a year. And the same with the piano and cello. Uh, so, so I guess it's a combination of luck and, uh, and of course, a little bit of uh, inventiveness. You have to be inventive also, and, and, and you have to know uh, about what kind of composers will work, what kind of composers or uh, programs, you know, and sometimes it's, it's, it's very different. Sometimes I can choose myself and sometimes the orchestra chooses which composer works for them, you know, and, and would fit if they see my repertoire, they say, okay, they think this would work in a Nordic repertoire, this will work with a, you know, a South American repertoire, or, uh, mm -hmm. this will work with Russian repertoire, which makes sense in a way. You, you also have to to think in, in the big perspective of that a concerto is just, you know, a third, maximum a third of a, a symphonic program. Uh, you know, the standard symphonic program is, is very fixed somehow. Um, mm -hmm. And, and like two that, parts, the, first, the second piece in the first part is normally a concerto, and then you have a symphony at the end. So Exactly, yeah. It's interesting to see how there can be many reasons. I premiered a very nice piece for cello and accordion in Vienna. No, no, not in Vienna, in Innsbruck in, in Austria, a double concerto. It's, it's now five, six years back by a Danish composer who won an international competition. And that, then the piece actually was the main, you know, attraction. And by coincidence, that piece was written for me and the cellist, you know, and the composers wanted us to play that. So it can also be the other way around. And, and it, 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 in many strange, you know, way into that mm -hmm. specific concert hall or with an orchestra, of course, uh, it, it helps if, if you have made yourself noticed somehow in, in it can be a competition or with a new CD or commission that you did or collaboration with a conductor. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of ways to how, how the things work or someone can have a very, very good, I don't know, agent or I don't know. It, it's, 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 it's very random or very difficult mm -hmm. for me to say how works this world. And, and I'm still mm -hmm. struggling to find out how, how I got <laughs> to be so, so lucky to perform so much with, with the with professional symphony orchestras so yeah well you know there's a part of it which is luck but there's also like skill there's also being in the right place at the right time collaborations interest curiosity it's a lot yeah. you know exactly, so, yeah. but i never thought about this and i thank you for that because you know actually like it makes sense for example 
I went to your web page the repertoire section and there were the concertos. And I was thinking like why there's kind of the big highlight on the concertos. But hearing you say about the different kinds of programs, right? Because the orchestra or the venue doesn't necessarily know our repertoire. So if they would go to the concerto list and say, oh, okay, so we have a Nordic composer that did this. Maybe there's a link to listen. So how does it fit our programming and so on and so forth? Because, you know, many times I think like pianists and um, violinists and cellists put their concerto lists. And sometimes it happens that maybe the soloist had some problem and cannot come. So they will just, you know, maybe Google directly somebody nearby knows how to play this concerto so they would Could call be, yeah. them up and you know ask like could you jump in and play this thing so uh it makes absolute sense and yeah uh, i think it's also a part of creating a little bit of research to understand and to know like what the orchestra is offering and what uh, what composer is very interested in and what the venue presents but at the same time, also creating a sort of relationship, personal relationship with with people who make the decisions, with the people who play the music and conductors and so on and so on. So well, what I like about you is that you don't kind of, let's say, quote unquote, limit yourself in your repertoire choice because you play everything. Like I've seen you, your videos playing folk music. I, I've listened to you playing Piazzolla. I've listened to you playing super contemporary music you know how do you go about like what's your vision of a modern accordionist if you were to kind of describe it because for me that's the person who plays everything yes that is a good question and uh, sometimes i i wish that i had limited myself to less repertoire less genres but then again i i i think it's the curiosity and the the need to explore musical diversity and, and yeah, like I said, curiosity and, and love for a lot of different genres is, is, is probably mainly one part, but but also um, out of, you know, I think also what you, uh, you stumble into by chance or who asks you to play a certain uh, piece or genre, if there's a really, you know, a, a, a musician that you look up to who happens to play uh, I don't know um, Bulgarian folk music, and he asks you can you join in for this. I will do uh, whatever it, it takes to to get to uh, to perform with a musician that I can learn from, you know. And, and even though it might not be my uh, comfort zone, I use that as a, an opportunity to to develop basically uh, my general musicianship, not limiting myself with. With the genre or specific uh, tradition, which can be dangerous, I admit that sometimes you 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 get into areas where you are not uh, in a natural environment or uh, or kind of like I said the comfort zone. But but sometimes you discover that this is something that you want to learn more about or you want to mm -hmm. uh, develop. Um, so it's it's general. I think it's about openness to different approaches and and ways of making music which I think it can contribute to your, your general musicianship. Oh, absolutely. I love what you're saying about the comfort zone, because, you know, like if you want to kind of grow and keep things interesting, especially in music, it's outside of a comfort zone that these things happen. Do you have any fun story or like an anecdote from when you felt like, okay, I'm absolutely not comfortable with this, but, you know, I'm just, I'm gonna jump in and, and do it. Well, that's a good uh, question. I have to think. Um, I think every time you do, for instance, something for the first time, a premiere or, or an approach uh, to a new way of thinking, trying out, experimenting. For instance, recently I, I had my debut uh, a few months ago playing Solo Wood Symphony Orchestra on the quarter tone accordion, which were, you know, extremely frightening, but also uh, extremely exciting. And, and you know, the, the pressure can is quite big sitting in front of an orchestra and, and you are often act on your, you know, instincts and your instincts is definitely uh, not really tuned in on an instrument that you 
rarely get to perform on publicly or you you uh, just have, have as a kind of extra accessory in your normal music uh, making so so that was very very uh, super uh, um, frightening in a way but also extremely exciting and, and 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 I was very lucky that the piece itself was very very good I think for a debut it was uh, and the composer did a fantastic job it's a Danish actually main, uh, composer who's mainly working in the world of film music and he studied uh, Arabian makam music uh, so that was kind of a a good match with my quarter tone accordion he he heard that that I that I had this instrument I I performed maybe a, a handful of times publicly already before through the last five years on this instrument so it's it's a very new and still developing uh, universe for mm-hmm. me but it's extremely exciting also to to get to learn about the uh, Arabian music just a little bit you know I'm still uh, mm-hmm. just scratching the surface of this completely uh, beautiful and, and different way of thinking so um, so, so that was was very. Yeah, yeah. I, I can, I can only imagine. <laughs> and you tend to, you know, use your, your like I said, your instincts, and, and those instincts were, for instance, this particular score was written in what you call scordatura. Actually, the the notes that I play were were not the notes that came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. Because uh, which is a nightmare for someone with perfect pitch. <laughs> for instance, if you are you are, you, are, you tend to rely on your your ears, then it can be uh, completely confusing and 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 very very scary. But yeah, I was very very happy that this this that he made the score in, in this particular way because uh, it was uh, would have taken maybe ten times as many hours to play the score if it was written with quarter tonal notation you know which you can easily completely uh, get lost in if you have an instrument which has a completely the the, the notes are, are positioned uh, very differently than you know the normal chromatic mm-hmm. way yeah yeah i think you can ask willy uh, kuyala about that uh, he, yeah. <laughs> he i hope i hope i will i will have someone uh, on the podcast where we'll talk like the entire episode only about like the quarter tone accordion because for yeah. just you know as a quick tip like for the listeners who don't know it uh the quarter tone accordion how do you make a quarter tone accordion you basically tune the reeds yeah. in in quarter tones uh, so that, you know, when you put the reeds inside the instrument and then instead of having like, for example, C, D, like that would be C, C sharp, because then like all the intervals are half of what we, they normally are. So instead of an octave, you have a fifth or well, what is it now, a fourth. So, yeah, I mean, like on my piano accordion, that would be completely not... <laughs> practical because like I don't have a huge hand to have an octave you know but but at that point it doesn't really make sense for like I could start it's a completely different instrument also for you guys who play button accordions definitely uh, like for me such a thing was you know I played already some three or four times a piece by Rebecca Saunders with an ensemble and she really likes this very high pitches which i cannot like i cannot have on my instrument because the piano accordion can only go that far you know like as pitches so i was all the time asking friends to if they could lend me their instrument for the concert and for the rehearsals and one time i got a segriff instrument which is completely different from the way i'm used to think because i play a begriff instrument yeah. Then another time I got a Begriff instrument, which was a little bit easier for me because, you know, it's kind of like translate from left hand to right hand. One time I got the, like the, the right hand was Tsegriff and the, no, the left hand was Tsegriff, the right hand was Begriff. So like every single time for me, it was, <laughs> I went on stage, I was like, okay, I needed to like make all the different calculations, prepare myself for notes, clusters, find them. And after the third time, I think I got like 
98% of the notes and stuff right. <laughs> you know? But yeah, it's a challenge. It's always a challenge. But otherwise, it wouldn't be fun. Being in oh, that's true. So one of your projects, which I saw you did last year, which was very curious for me, was this Echoes of Cliffs. Would you like to talk a little bit about it? Because I think like of a, the title is pretty self-explanatory, but um, like how how was this idea born? How did you develop it? Where did you play it? Yeah, it's a project that was developed through a few years actually with with the composer and uh, and a good friend of mine, uh, Martin Lose, um, who um, I think. Uh, is, is, has a growing group of performers in the accordion world. And he is on regular basis uh, writing new stuff for me and, 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 and also other accordionists now. And, and it's, it's very, uh, very interesting to, to work with him for me. I mean, it's always very inspiring to talk about in general with, uh, on music and, and other fields. He's also a great uh, painter and, and artist mm -hmm. and even writes poetry and and so he has a very a very big uh, horizon which goes beyond just writing you know music and um, actually in, before he studied uh, the composition back in his uh, youth he was in his teens he was uh, studying uh, geology geology yeah. okay. he was studying geology yeah and he had had a visit on actually the Island where I was before I, I knew about him before uh, I think I, uh, and and before I even I think uh, thought about uh, uh, studying music uh, he he was studying geology and and had a visit on the island of Bornholm where I'm from where I'm born and grew up and uh, there he had I think already a very big inspiration in his his work in general his his compositions this would because in the middle of Bornholm, there's a line, it's a, a very rocky island, and, and there's this line where you can see the different layers of time, mm. and, and you can uh, explore what, what actually, how the, the island developed in uh, over a million years, I think. And I, I guess he, uh, he uh, saved that idea for uh, when he met uh, an, uh, another crazy musician who were into the same things, and I've always been very very inspired by nature and 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 especially the place where I am from, uh, Bornholm, which is a very beautiful, has uh, a very very big variety of of natural landscapes. And some years ago, I actually uh, asked if Martin would write a piece that kind of was a tribute to that specific landscape. Uh, and uh, some years later, we uh, got the opportunity to set up this big work with six huge speakers who is accompanying me and, and, and is uh, uh, responding with live electronics. And um, there's a, a few really beautiful places, actually quite a lot of beautiful locations on Bornholm, which is based on rocks, you know, rocks and, and, and bro or a, a, a ruined cathedral or a kind of, uh, yeah, which is, is, is just, fitted so well for this idea so um, we uh, got together with a sound artist Jesper Andersen who is professor of uh, of uh, the Tonmeister education on on the Royal Academy of Music and he developed this uh, this setup with six speakers in in a big area of uh, I think uh, uh, 50 meters between so so the and the audience in the middle of this I don't know this uh, ocean of of sound, which was delayed and played some uh, pre-recorded uh, audio material that we uh, worked on for many months. And yeah, so so it's a, a very complex and exciting uh, exciting project that that we hope to put up again. And we 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 so far played performed it eight times, seven times on the island, you know, and, and the surrounding islands of Bornholm, there's some small islands. And we were very lucky with the weather. It was actually a, like a Corona concert support uh, from the mm. British mm -hmm. government where you could apply for some funding for a, mm -hmm. a project set up for mm -hmm. audience who could, could experience events 
in 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 the nature and, and open spaces where which were you know distance safe mm, and then yeah. that project fitted perfect into that and but there was only the one obstacle of course that was the the weather because uh, uh, that could have gone terribly wrong and if we were had been very uh, out of luck we would never never have performed the piece but we were so lucky with the weather that it, the sun was shining and everything just looked per perfect every time and and, and that was uh, our luck but uh, so so i hope we will get get lucky in the future as well if we get to perform this we have some plans but yeah I was curious if if you can actually like you were talking about the islands near Bornholm and around it. I was curious whether you can export like the piece, but I imagine if you have like this setup, you know, that you get right and find a place where there's enough space because 50 meters is actually a lot to kind of have all yeah. these huge speakers and the, this ocean of sound you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have like some example where, but they, I, I imagine that on video it's not the same or like on audio it's not the same as the... I, I put up, uh, I think, a few uh, examples on uh, on Instagram and, and there's also a, a small teaser, a few teasers maybe on YouTube. If you if you type echoes off clips, you can see some pre-recorded stuff, but also uh, I think uh, there is a few live footages and there will be more soon when we get to perform it next time, we will uh, release some, some more material for people to get mm -hmm. excited about it. But, uh, it's it's <laughs> nice. still, uh, still on the planning schedule, uh, it's a planning mm -hmm. stage. Mm -hmm. So listeners, head on to, you'll find the link to Liarke's Instagram, follow him on Instagram and also on YouTube, where you'll find some videos and the teaser of his project, as well as other great stuff coming out. I saw that you're also preparing for a new launch, a new CD launch. Am I right? Is it yes, Piazzo, Piazzola CD launch? Yeah, actually, um, there's two... Uh projects going on at the same time which is uh, quite confusing for me because it's uh, I, I still haven't the really got the release release dates uh, finished yet uh, the, the editing is going a little bit slower because of covid my um uh, is uh, swedish and uh, we have some some sometimes we have to to cross the border to work together and it's, mm. it has been uh, a little bit of a challenge still and but, but we are getting there soon, and uh, the Piazzolla album is, is probably going to be the first, which will come here this spring, hopefully mid-April, mid which is kind of uh, a, a couple of uh, my, so to speak, favorite Piazzolla movements and, and uh, pieces that I collected through the years, and I think probably is lesser known than most, uh, most Piazzolla pieces. I'm very much looking forward to it because you know, I'm a huge fan of uh, the Tango Nuevo, of Piazzolla, and uh, I'm very curious about, you know, especially, especially when it's not the so-called mainstream quote-unquote quote music, you know, when you have, like I was thinking, I, I play very often Flora's game, right, from the Free Preludes, and I was thinking that it's pretty well known, but it's actually not that much performed so yeah perhaps, there's a lot, you know, of, a lot of hidden or still uh, undiscovered uh, material that deserves more attention than only of course Libertango and Oblivion uh, which we all know and, and uh, are beautiful I, but <laughs> beautiful things, uh, but, uh, but uh, there's so much more and uh, I, I I really love to also explore and, and find uh, like you said uh, for instance the Flores game but also uh, lesser known pieces that Pietrolla developed with, with very very um, super skilled and interesting musicians such as uh, Gary Burton, for instance, the vibraphone player, and mm -hmm. and, uh, and all these uh, things that he he did outside the normal quintet uh, sextet. You know, uh, there's a lot of, of still uh, pieces that deserve more. I think attention mm -hmm. is very different from from the rest, uh, and and I think he's just a super, super. In that sense, if you try to find the 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 less lesser known pieces, you will find a lot of very very good stuff.
there. Mm -hmm. That's a yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And with all of these things and projects and everything and recordings and concerts, you're also a professor of accordion and chamber music. When do you find time to be there and to teach? <laughs> well, yeah, that's, that's kind of a, a very uh, good question. And uh, I like that my students haven't uh, been unsatisfied yet uh, with, with, with my schedule at least so so that's uh, that's a good thing uh, but but yeah it is, it is a struggle to combine those things for me uh, because my main focus is still uh, on on the performance uh, area because mm -hmm. there's so much uh, much exciting stuff to do but I, I love to teach and but but it's it's kept on a kind of a, modest hour uh, mm -hmm. daily hour point because mm -hmm. i still need to uh, to develop my my repertoire and, sure. and, and i know no, that's important also for i think for for the for teaching that you that you uh, keep on performing even though you have your main focus on teaching or whatever on some other stuff or um that you you, you still get find time to develop your your own playing and and that's yeah, uh, also because inspiring for students, I hope. True, true. Also because as you are saying, if you don't go outside of a comfort zone and learn new stuff, new repertoire, find out exactly. new things, you cannot really, you know, keep motivated and give new knowledge and extra knowledge and get a better insight of what you're doing, right? Exactly. What I find curious is, do you also teach chamber music with other instruments, or is it mainly like accordion with something? I do. I do uh, teach in chamber music at, at the Royal Academy as well. Uh, it's a, usually a combination of both solo and and, and chamber music. Uh, since there's a, and uh, you have to perform at the exams, you have to perform a certain amount of chamber music uh, on on. On uh, the in the accordion department, uh, so so that's that goes uh, without saying that mm -hmm. I have to teach as well, and I love teaching that uh, as well as teaching solo. So so there's a lot of exciting possibilities and repertoire uh, uh, that I I really find very interesting, and also how to um, to see it from. I mean, I perform. I, I think. Maybe fifty percent of my work is chamber music, so so that's also something that I, I love to develop and, mm -hmm. and share my share my views and, and experiences uh, with with students and yeah, hopefully they learn from my my experiments and errors and and their mistakes. So uh, and and hopefully I also learn from you know teaching uh, other people. Playing, playing because sometimes you develop your own stuff from teaching another student you see this from outside uh, something that you uh, probably did yourself uh, i think and then you learn how, uh, that this is you, you learn from the student the teacher learns sure. from the student sometimes by coincidence or by uh, because it's a talented student that you never know it's it's it goes often goes both ways so so that's i think important to always yeah have an open open mind and, and openness towards new ideas or re new repertoire, especially it's, I think it's really exciting when a student comes with a piece that I didn't know or that, that I, I, I uh, had no idea existed. So, so it's, it's, it's important to, to have this, I think, approach to teaching. Mm -hmm. What I also like is the mindset here, because it's not that I am teaching, you know, like, of course, you are the professor, but it's a place of exchange, right? So yeah. you would kind of exchange ideas, and learn from the student at the same time as giving a certain amount of experience and knowledge to the student. So it's an ongoing kind of process of exchange of information and experience and ideas. And uh, yeah, that's, but I think that's the kind of mindset that, especially in music, but I think everywhere, like whenever you teach, that's, that's the kind of thing that, you know, stays, stays there, needs to be there in order to learn and to teach. Bjarke, we are in 2022. Now it's uh, when I'm, when I'm posting this episode, it's already February. What are you looking forward to this year? Well, uh, there's a lot of exciting projects, and it's difficult to 
pinpoint, I think, uh, which is more exciting than others. But I have an up- upcoming performance with the Odense Symphony Orchestra, um, uh, one of the biggest orchestras in Denmark, which uh, I recently recorded a CD with, with music by a, a rather a quite famous composer in Denmark, Paul Ruders, um, on an American label, Bridge Records. And they um, released it last year. And just now it was nominated for a new music release of the year uh, in Danish radio, national radio. So um, that was already a big thing. And I just received the news that it actually won the prize. So uh, so I'm I'm super happy. Uh, oh, congratulations. Yeah, it's this work gets gets the, this attention, you know, a contemporary piece is not very often, and especially an accordion concerto is very difficult to to gain a lot of uh, attention uh, uh, these days. So that that's a, a very big thing for um, I think for for the accordion at least uh, also in Denmark. Even though we have very good traditions, it's very important that. The, the instrument stays, you know, in the spotlight and and vibrant. You know, we have a great tradition of many uh, wonderful performers, and and uh, but as always, you have to to keep keep the the talk, uh, you know, going on and the fire burning or what do you say uh, this is yeah no, the, the, the momentum going because you know it's yeah, not yeah. like it's it's easy to get well not easy but let's say that it's easier to get to one place than it is to actually stay on that place no it exactly yeah exactly requires so. a lot of work and a lot of uh, know-how you know to do exactly this yeah, but this mm-hmm. but this is a performance I look forward to, uh, which is here in, in in May. And before that, I have also another very exciting project, which uh, started uh, back in twenty twenty uh, with with a choir, Danish uh, choir, which is specialized in um, in early music, and uh, they decided to uh, use me in the production of Domenico Scarlatti's Stabat Mater, hmm. a beautiful. Beautiful piece with uh, with for for twelve individual voices and organ, you know, or uh, continue. The conductor was uh, very uh, interested in my uh, interpretations of uh, Scarlatti sonatas and wanted me to to perform the sonatas in between his uh, Scarlatti's choir works. And, and I think it works really really well with the accordion and and, and nice. a small chamber choir. Yeah, so this is something I, I also look very much forward to uh, this spring. Uh, so there's a lot of really nice things going on. And in a few weeks, I will go to Norway uh, performing with a, a fantastic Hatanga fiddle player, you know, this um, Norwegian traditional instrument, which is uh, uh, the typical sound of uh, the Norwegian mountains, Hatanga fiddle. Um, oh, it's a... Okay. Um, a kind know. of violin, kind of kind of violin, which has this, these loose strings, and I think it, it, fantastic performance. She's called Raunhild Hemsing, um, and she has a festival in in a in a very beautiful location in the middle of Norway, uh, and um, I'm really looking forward to to going there, performing wow. with her, and, and uh, so so that, that's that's a, a, a few things coming up right right uh, soon very soon mm-hmm. so and then i, I don't want to talk about the, <laughs> the rest of the year that's already too too much uh, but but that's there's stuff going on luckily even though the 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 pandemic is is uh, sometimes uh, very annoying to <laughs> to compete with yeah it is uh, because you when know. you're preparing for something and then it's simply the, maybe it's postponed or it doesn't happen at all or like i've had one concert which i was very looking forward to because it's like it was in complete darkness done yeah. with um, uh, an institute that helps people who are blind yeah, well. uh, and you know like the audience and myself included we would kind of have the same experience in a way as them in complete darkness and i needed to do that concert already in december 2020 it was postponed for december 2021 and it was postponed again we don't know when so you know like 
I've been doing all of his practices blindfolded and in complete darkness and trying to play the Ramon Gavot at Cis Double, like, you know, without, like, only with feeling the instrument. And then yeah. it didn't happen. So that's pretty annoying. You're using the right word. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, this is a challenge. It is. It, it is. is. So for the listeners, keep an eye out for Bjarke. Perhaps he's going to perform near you. So absolutely go and hear all these things. Unfortunately, the travels are very like a real pain in the bottom at the moment. Yeah. Otherwise, like I would really look up some of the next performances because this thing with the choir and you know the echoes of cliffs and the orchestra things, it's super exciting and really amazing what you're doing for the instrument as well because that way it kind of integrates inside the bigger picture of music not thank only you. classical yeah. music thank you that is, that is what i i'm i'm really happy that people notice sometimes this uh, that the the work that you 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 put into it also is is uh, is huge and sometimes you take risks which is not always the best outcome but but at least you you do something that uh, is is kind of developing something, and that's I think that's the, the most exciting is, is development. I think in, in all well, yeah. you know, if you don't try stuff out, you'll never know if it works, if it's something cool, or if it's something that you know it's not. Maybe it wasn't meant to be. So, you know, it's exactly. always good to to try things out. Uh, yeah. You have a huge discography. Uh, where can listeners find all of your CDs and recordings and so on? Well, it's um, it's a very complicated question, but I mean, all streaming services has, I think, uh, access to my recordings, my CDs at least, and and, so, and then there's a few things that I didn't release, which sometimes is on YouTube or they will come very soon in the future. It's um, but but I would definitely recommend looking on Spotify or uh, Apple mm -hmm. Music. You can find very, very different kinds of recordings. And YouTube, mm -hmm. of course, which is uh, also something that I use from time to time. Great. Bjarke, perhaps I'm going to put you in some, um, in a bit of a corner. If you were to choose your favorite concerto out of the ones that you performed, because I'm sure that you like all of them, or almost all of them. What yeah. would be your choice? Yeah, that it's changing. I think on a regular basis. I think it's, it's mostly the one that I work on on at the particular time that people ask. So uh, at the moment, I was super excited about the, this quarter-tone recording concerto, which, which I recently premiered in, in Cairo, and and that was super exciting and i hope there will be a youtube uh, recording soon that i can present and i hope to get to perform that one again a, a lot of times and and if you want to look up the composer he's uh, he just also released i think uh, some some he's using a lot of quarter tones Sune Kölster. Uh, maybe you can you can find it on my webpage you can find his name mm -hmm. there. And also, of course, this Paul Rudas that I just released is also a very exciting piece, which was released last year. And it has a very different approach, I think, to the soloist role, because it's not a, a typical concerto in that sense that you have uh, a lot of fast notes and, and a lot of it's, it's more like an integrated sound in the symphony orchestra, right? but, but mm. very audible at the same time. And, and some really fresh, I think, original ideas, but still very approachable for the general listener who is maybe not into contemporary music for some reason, but but uh, also for the people who are not specifically interested in, in modern sounds. This is still has something to offer to a lot of people. I think the uh, sound and simplicity by Paul Waters. So that, that's, that's two, sorry, that was not one. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but that's, that's a very good answer, but your kind of your favorite concerto is the one you're practicing or, you know, like you're playing now. Yeah. Usually it's the one that you're playing at the moment, which is your favorite because yeah, you, you tend to love 
what you have. But it, yeah, but it the, means that you're diving inside it and you're like living it to its fullest, right? So exactly, that's that's the that's the big, uh, I think, uh, the whole uh, idea. I think also of being a musician is this that uh, the work is the biggest uh, value or the biggest uh, price. It's not the performance, but uh, working with the material, which is, I think, super inspiring and, and can all, when you can always develop your playing and, and your musical horizon, uh, that's the biggest kind of reward you get. If you start focusing on the wrong things in, in making music, you will get depressed or... Or yeah, you can get uh, very, uh, very, very, very uh, demotivated if you, if you focus mm -hmm. on the downsides, at least, of uh, performing. Or especially these times where everything's in, in the risk of getting cancelled, you always mm -hmm. have to focus on the, the, the positive uh, aspects of being a musician, which, which we get to do what we are passionate about or, or love. You know, so this is, yeah. And at, at the moment, that is diving into these crazy big works. Yeah, absolutely. For me, at least. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, Bjarke, before I let you go, because I know that you're playing tomorrow and after tomorrow, and you have a very busy schedule, and I thank you again for finding the time to be here on the podcast with me. What would be in this age of, you know, like we're living very uncertain times, especially in culture, because it's in a way like the way I've been living it, it's the first kind of thing that can be postponed or canceled or, you know, uh there's a lot of uncertainty going on and for somebody who was already very active as a performer before the pandemic for someone who is now a student is kind of going into a professional career like what would be your advice to them on staying you know on this path and if they want to be a professional musician like what would your advice be so that they persevere and go on to become professional musicians? Well, I can only advise uh, in the direction which I am working myself or using the pandemic as a positive. You can, you can, you can use it both as a, of course, negative that we don't get to perform and present our work to the public or the audience. Um, if, if you focus on that, it can be very, uh, demotivating and depressing of course but if, if you actually look at the positive side really get to get deep into to practicing and 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 for me it has been uh, very very after many years of you know struggling to find the time for learning new pieces this has been also a gift in some way to actually suddenly i had the time to do a project like Martin Lose's piece which i would never have been able to you know, it's a huge administrative and, and uh, practical planning that, that goes before just performing and learning the piece. Uh, th these kind of projects it's, it needs a lot of and sacrifice your concert schedule a little bit to to um, actually be able to to get to do these more uh, alternative concert projects. So so that, that for me, I, I, it has both been a blessing and, of course, an obstacle, but I, I, I try to focus on the positive <laughs> stuff that you, you get to, to do mm -hmm. different kinds of developments. So that's the main, uh, the, the key word in is, is develop, development, even if it's uh, developing a new way of uh, uh, practicing, a new way of uh, learning pieces, uh, expanding your repertoire. That's a big, I think, um, we have a big possibility now when the pandemic is uh, roaming, you know, you have uh, much more time to sit by yourself and, and study pieces, study new pieces without a certain deadline coming and breathing in your neck, you know. So I would advise, especially young performers that are stressed about never getting to perform, they, they can use it as a motivation. Mm -hmm. So use the time, try to stay positive and optimistic and use the time to build such a huge repertoire that when you go on stage, you can like perform 20 yes. different concert programs. <laughs> exactly. You have them already just uh, because uh, when you, when 
when suddenly when it reopens, that has been probably the biggest obstacle is that everything is squeezed together in, in, in a very short time. But if you plan ahead, like I, I, I think I talked a little bit about in the beginning, that if you plan your things ahead, that's everything is, I think, or it, mm-hmm. it's, it tends to be easier instead of uh, panic practicing last minute, you know, which we sometimes tend to do if we can, you know. So that, that's my... True. Avoid panic practicing before concerts. (laughs) Which is something I need to tell myself before the two premieres on Friday. But uh, I'm getting there. I'm I'm getting there. Great. Bjarke, thank you very much for being with us. Good luck with your concerts, with the projects. And I'm personally very much looking forward to listening and hearing your next projects. And I hope to meet you in person at some point and drink some beer together somewhere. I don't know where, but we'll meet. Let's look forward to that. Take care. Yeah, you too. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Tune in in two weeks' time for another episode where I will be talking to some other guests from the accordion world. Some of you have asked, how can you support the podcast? There are two options. The first one is Patreon, so if you click on the link in the description of the episode, it will take you to Patreon, where you can donate a certain amount to either become a cool, awesome, or VIP-level patron, or you can head on to my website, genadirotare.com community. In the community section, you will find the patrons and the supporters page. This way you will support the podcast and the creation of the episodes. Thank you very much for listening and see you soon.